What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to episode 630. Uh, yeah, before we go any further, I don't know if it's strep throat. I don't know what it is, but we're just doing the interview uh, today. It's my friend Rich. He's been on the show before, and uh, uh, we were going to have a heart-to-heart discussion about something he wanted to talk to me about, and I said, if you're comfortable, you know, let's turn the mic on, and we can always not air it if we start talking about stuff you're not comfortable about, but he was he was very uh, open and honest, and so uh, we're going we're gonna to air that for you guys. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. I have been I have been using BetterHelp for uh, multiple years, and I just had a session with uh, my therapist Heidi the other day, and um, she really helps me sort out my uh, my fears and to let go of the ones that I can't do anything about, and to get into action around the things that I uh, do have control over, because that's where most of life uh, gets me gets me bogged down so when you're at your best you can do great things if you're thinking of giving therapy a try better help is a great option it's convenient flexible affordable and entirely online just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge if you want to live a more empowered life therapy can get you there visit betterhelp.com mental slash mental today to get 10% off your first month. That's better help. <laughs> That's better help. H-E-L-P dot com slash mental. And now, without any any further ado, did I, I don't know if I mentioned that we're not going to do surveys. I, I don't want to put anybody through that, uh, that misery. Um, but here now, that uh, that conversation with Rich. My consciousness might be disintegrated. Heavy weighted blanket on my brain. Symptomatically. And I can't think straight. Things present themselves for a reason. And I can't see straight. I couldn't even drive. The first movie that I remember watching with him. Post-traumatic stress. When I was like five years old was Pulp Fiction. <laughs> And moral injury. I would act out the scenes. Gonna go to hell. With my Barbies. (laughs) The greatest source of our suffering. Ordinary is where all the good stuff happens. Is our unwillingness to experience and accept our emotions. It is very hard to heal in dark isolation. I developed compassion. It is in connection and community where that happens. The process was nearly unbearable. Like, I'm gonna have to kill myself. 
We'll be right back after this. <laughs> I'm here again with my friend, uh, Rich. We did an episode, what, a year ago, maybe? It was probably two years ago. Now. Yeah. Uh, and uh, you called me up earlier this afternoon, and you said, we, we need to get together for dinner because I, I need to talk. And uh, so you arrived, I don't know, maybe an hour ago, and the thought occurred to me, let, let's turn on the mics. And, you know, I said, I don't want you to feel like I'm exploiting you, um, and we can stop it at any time. I can edit anything you want out. But I talk so much about support groups and the relationships we develop in there. I thought it would be interesting to to record uh, a, a support group chat as it's as it's happening in real time. We haven't discussed anything. We so. have not discussed anything. This is going to be a great experiment. Yes. Or, a, or a tragic experiment. And Depends. maybe both. <laughs> Great for me, tragic for you. <laughs> That's always the case. Yeah. And uh, we are using a pseudonym uh, for him as we did uh, as we did last time. So what is going on the last time I talked to you was a couple of weeks ago and you were dating. And what has changed since then? Or are you still trying to make the same shit show work? Um. Yeah, I, I think if you uh, sort of reshape it, polish it, turn it upside down, you know, eventually it'll work. That's my theory. Clearly, that's not the case. I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm in a really, I mean, I feel better. It's kind of, like I said earlier, it's like going to see the doctor. Before you go to see the doctor, uh, you feel pretty sick. The doctor arrives, you're at the doctor's office, and suddenly you get this boost. You don't feel as sick. So just seeing you makes me feel better. So thank you. You're welcome. Um, and we went to a meeting this evening together, which, yeah. which helped the process. Um, yeah, I'm finding myself going back to the same old patterns that I've had in the past. And those patterns are seeking validation externally from women. And what I know is that doesn't work. When I'm seeking validation from something outside of myself... I uh, I want more, and it's never enough. And for some reason, I can't quite shake it. And what part of you do you think you're looking to validate your your worthiness as a person, your attractiveness as a man? I think it's I think it's that. I think it's I think it's both of those things. To be honest, are uh, they are they synonymous? Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, you know, when I'm at my best. Um, and I've got my daily spiritual routine, which is a meeting in the morning, meditation, prayer, service, step work, working out. Um, I don't need validation externally because I'm validating myself and I feel full and then I can contribute. And, you know. So have you been cutting corners on the yeah, daily practices yeah, yes, of those yeah. things? I would say for the last three or four months, I have not gone to as many meetings. When I was at my best, I was going to probably five, six meetings a day, first thing in the morning. A, a day, you mean a week? It's a week. Yeah. Apologies. Yeah. yeah. Five, six meetings a week, first thing in the morning. And you and I talked about this earlier that, you know, those voices that, um, <clears throat> all those thoughts we have when we first wake up in the morning mm -hmm. can be really negative. Have, have you ever had a pleasant one? I don't uh, think I've ever had a pleasant one. Um, never had a pleasant, <laughs> never had. Oh. It's never like, wow. You're a great guy. Look at what you've achieved. Look what you've made 
of your life in spite of the cards you were dealt. It's yeah. never that thought. It's usually, and we've talked about this many times, I always feel behind the eight ball. No matter what time sure. I wake up, I wake up at 7 a.m., winding up at 6, 6 a.m., winding up at 4. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the mind is working against me. It's so. already been up and it's saying, oh, look who decided to wake up and join us. Exactly, exactly. So that's why going to the meetings first thing in the morning was so critical for my recovery because, you know, it does a couple of things. One, it sort of puts me in a spiritual mindset. You know, there's there's an old saying in the programs we go to that you get sanity based on daily spiritual maintenance. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it doesn't carry over to the next day. Um, and that's probably what I've forgotten. But going to those meetings first thing in the morning really puts my head in the right um, the right perspective about life. So meaning I am enough. I always hear something in those meetings that remind me that I am taken care of, I'm loved, I'm blessed, I have so much to be grateful for. And when I stop that, then I go back into the old pattern, and it's looking for validation externally, either through dating women or through uh, financial success, through uh, career success. And the problem with hitching validation as you know to those things is uh one there's not enough validation that will ever fill the hole inside certainly for me and secondly um uh it, it it's a slippery slope when you hitch it to something that is external that you can't control then you're at the behest of that yeah. and that's sort of where i am now because um yeah that's where i am now uh, we were talking before we started recording about the uh, documentary uh, that I watched last night about Kanye West. And he's he's such a uh, fascinating, sad, tragic uh, figure. Uh, I could probably say another hundred words uh, to, to describe him. Watching his descent into whatever he is today, whatever you want to call him, it, it's an interesting it's fascinating to know where, what is his personality and mm. what is his untreated mania, mm. uh, because it it is seeing footage of him before he was famous, before he had success, totally self obsessed, all about him. Obviously, you get into show business, that's not going to change. It's only going to get worse, and. You see people who begin to get everything that they dreamed Mm. of financially Mm. and artistically, and then their brain starts to devour themselves, like Michael Jackson's obsession with his face or Mm. Howard Hughes's obsession with germs. And I wonder, did a part of his brain turn on itself with the anti-Semitism, or has he always been a anti-Semite, and now he just felt... well, you know, it's interesting because many years ago, I may have mentioned this before, many years ago I did a story at the Kabbalah Center when I was working uh, in journalism and I was interviewing Madonna's rabbi. And at the time, Madonna was very involved in Kabbalah. And I remember asking her rabbi, going, why would Madonna need Kabbalah? And he said, imagine getting everything you always thought you wanted and then realizing it's still not enough. So that's sort of the tragedy of obsessing about something your entire life and the tragedy of getting it and being fulfilled 
in that area and then realizing you still don't feel good about yourself. And it's the same as, you know, I relate to that, you know, it doesn't matter what level of success, doesn't matter who I date, doesn't matter what, you know, if I don't have a spiritual program and a spiritual, um, you have a spiritual base, then I, I'm still at the behest of my Brain. sick mind. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So let's get back to your sick mind. The, uh, what, what, what happened? Oh, um, well, a couple of things happened. Uh, one is I went on vacation with my mother. That oh, was one. end of episode. <laughs> We've gotten to the bottom. We've gotten to the bottom of it. Um, was, was that the, the one that your brother also went? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was a fucking shit show. It was. That, that was even the stuff that you had shared with me about your past and your family of origin, even being prepared with that knowledge, my jaw dropped at the complete narcissism of both your mother and your and your brother. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I hadn't seen them in four years because of the pandemic. And, you know, I was really working my program. And so when I would interact with them, it would only be over the phone. But I felt like, Maybe I have the strength to spend some time with them, but spending a week alone with them on a family vacation took me right back to that painful experience growing up. And I felt so unseen, so unappreciated. And I remember my mother would complain, she complained the entire trip and she said, you know, why aren't you spending more time with us? Uh, and what I wanted to say is because I'm praying, meditating, <laughs> doing step work just so I can spend an hour with you. And, you know, it was sort of, and then it, here's what, here, here's a sort of a, a snapshot of the trip and why it was so painful. So my mother said she wanted to spend more time with me. So, okay, we're going to have lunch together. We sat across from each other. This is on the vacation? On the, vaca on the okay. vacation. We sat right. across from each other. And was she saying she wanted to spend more time with you? During the vacation or just in general? During the vacation. And she always wanted to, she, she's like, when am I going to see you? When are you going to come visit? Was she saying that she's not seeing enough of you on the vacation? Yes, on the vacation. So on those seven days, I'm Correct. not seeing you enough. Correct. And was there any basis in truth for that? Were you disappearing for the entire day? No, I mean, in the morning, I was trying to do my prayer, my meditation. I was trying to work out. I was trying to make calls also that I could be... You know, the only way, and you and I have talked about this before, the only way I can have a relationship with my mother is to show up and be of service, predicated on my own self-care first. So meaning if I go into this interaction... That is a thin slice of, of pie <laughs> where those two intersect, buddy. <laughs> you don't know if... You might need an electron microscope to see that Venn diagram. I mean, it's... Yeah, the, the equation is probably flawed at, yeah. the, very, at the very core, and so, you know, when I was doing my spiritual work in the morning, she's like, why aren't you having breakfast with us? Why aren't you coming to sit with us by the pool? And so eventually I was like, okay, let's have lunch together. And this sort of crystallizes the trip. We sat across from each other at lunch and I just thought I'd try an experiment. I wasn't going to say anything. She wanted to spend time with me. She wanted to have lunch. Let's see if she engages me in conversation. And I kid you not, uh, didn't say anything the entire lunch. 
So that felt so lonely, so uncomfortable. And, um, you know, there was no sort of, I guess I could have left the trip, but I decided to finish out the seven days. I was counting down the days. And you had also paid uh, for the entire trip. Yeah, paid for for the trip for for my brother and my niece and nephew. And uh, I subsidized, yeah, the trip for my mother as well. Uh, And they didn't ask you to do that. You did that on your own. Do you think there was any part of you that's, unhealthy that chose to pay for the whole thing? Or do you think that came from a healthy place? Mm-hmm. But I, you know, I definitely paid for my brother because I felt like I wanted to create, I, I guess I wanted to see if we could have the family we I'd always dreamed about. And, you know, I was in a better place emotionally, spiritually. He's smiling right now because <laughs> he's hearing it come out of I'm his mouth. Out, I know how insane it is. Yes. You know, now, and I, I guess I should have run that by you before. Is this a good idea? When I run that by somebody, you know, there's an old saying in program that we live our lives in consultation. And it sort of annoyed me at the beginning. But now I see the wisdom in that because... You know, this is a disease of the mind and the mind can play tricks on you. Oh, I can cope with this toxicity. Only it seems when it comes to our life, Mm. it's like I can have an Mm. accurate perspective on your life, but my perspective on my life, I need help with. Yeah. Why is that? Constantly. Why is that? I think that's the nature of um, whatever the addiction or trauma or personality quirk uh, for so many of us we 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 can't be objective because we imbue everything with life or death fear and we extrapolate you know 10 years out based on something that happened today that we're not even going to remember in two weeks yeah everything yeah the truth is everything sort of driven by fear and i guess i guess part of me you know, had this, it was a fantasy. It was a fantasy. And it's, it's a normal fantasy for a, a family member to have, to want right. to make this family perfect, want to bring this family together as the oldest son in this family. But it was a fantasy. And if I'd extrapolated this out, if I talked to somebody in detail about this, then probably I wouldn't have gone, or I certainly would have gone about this trip well, here's differently. The, here's the thing that, that is interesting to me is this is not the first time that you and I had talked about this. We had talked before you went on this trip about the pattern of you accepting crumbs mm. in your familial relationships and lying to yourself that it's a banquet and that hmm. there's nothing wrong. And and yet still um, the warped perspective, the desire for that to not be the truth was still so strong that, that you went uh, on this vacation, and, and that is not me judging you. That to no, me speaks that. to the power of uh, mental illness, addiction, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I, I think I forgot how difficult it is to be around uh, such a toxic situation. I felt like I could. I, I was in such a good place. I felt like, oh, I can, I can handle this. <laughs> I can slash this. ruin this. Yeah. I can handle this until, you know, the first day came around. I was like, I was literally, I paid all this money for this vacation. And I was literally counting the hours, the minutes till it would be over. Okay. And um, so that was a very, very difficult trip because there's, you know, when you're with people that you can't really address the truth with, you can't speak honestly with, 
there's no uh there's no intimacy with that leads one to feel incredibly lonely and isolated and um i sort of came back from that trip really it was like a big punch in the gut yeah and and there is a level of sadness when mm. you are sad in a beautiful place yes it's like double sad because you know that you should not be feeling this it's like amplified by the beauty around you that you can't, you can't feel it. Yeah. It was like I was sitting on the edge of the beach watching the sunset and I was probably the most depressed I've ever been in, in years. And I was like, this doesn't feel like, there's, there's, there's something problematic here. And, and it, go ahead, finish. No, 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 no. And were you able in that moment to be able to say, it's because I'm trying to force a square peg into a round hole with the trying to make this family be what I want them to be. Yeah, I was really conscious of this, This, you know, if I'd really, if I had really taken care of myself, one, I wouldn't have gone on the trip. And two, I probably would have left early. So there was definitely people pleasing in the, that I stayed and was willing to tolerate this and tolerate, you know, bad behavior from my brother and my mother and, you know, again, I have a lot of compassion for them. Both of them are doing the best they can. And I see myself in them. I see that very scared little boy in my brother, that very scared, you know, my brother's in his 50s. I see that very scared little girl in my mother who's in her, you know, her mid to late 70s. And I remember what it was like before I got into a spiritual program where I felt so walking alone in the world like i i just wasn't going to make it through and i had nowhere to go and i know what it's like to live in that place so i had a lot of compassion for them do you think they even recognize their discomfort as loneliness mm. I, you know it's i try to i try to and maybe it's not i don't i i don't know i, I don't know what it's like to be in their skin but you know at I think generally when people are really fucking hard to mm. be around, there's mm. a lack of something going on. Yeah. It's, I think, I think it's deep. I, I listen, I see, I see myself in them. I see that deep fear, you know, imagine, you know, I have a spiritual life and what a spiritual life gives me is a perspective. It gives me a level of comfort and it, it's given me tools to be able to sort of validate myself um, rather than, worrying about external validation. And when I see that in them, um, I feel so sorry for them. And then I, I tried to reach out and help them and guide them in some way, which was met with such anger and resentment. And I kind of understand that because me reaching out to sort of offer them some assistance at its very core is shattering the whole worldview. And they, hang on so tightly that everything's okay yes to the to the to the the fear and the way they act and there's nothing i can do to yeah. break that and yeah. that's tragic and me. to be fair they didn't ask you no for no. help i had a big argument with my brother i i was at a again it was this beautiful it was this beautiful five-star resort and gorgeous pool beautiful country we were sitting there and my brother was uh on the, the lounger next to me and, you know, he's, his life is really small. And I said, have you ever thought of leaving our hometown potentially and having a different life, having a different experience? 
And that triggered him to no end. He literally, in front of hundreds of people, got up and, and said, you fucking think my life is shit, started screaming and shouting at me because, um, you know, I had confronted his his fear. I'd confronted him. And then I, I eventually apologized to him because he didn't ask for my help. He didn't right. ask for my assistance. I said, it's always here if you need it, but I'm not going to offer it anymore because it's not, first of all, it's not my role to fix him. And yeah. secondly, I can't fix him. Yeah. Somebody's got to want to. And that's crossing somebody's boundaries. Correct. Yeah. Correct. That's good that you can, you can see that and you can own that. And that to me is part of what, you know, trying to live a spiritual life. Um, I used to think when people talk about, you know, spiritual life, I used to think it meant like worship and going to church mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And it, for me, it's, it has nothing to do with that. It's and, only my part in things. So, you know, right. you sort of realize I apologized to him straight away. I was like, okay, he's really triggered. And like, what was my role in this? My role was that I offered advice and it wasn't asked for. And so that's part of the spiritual process of then apologizing right away to make sure my side of the street is clean. And then you give them brochures on other towns to live in. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So you come back. This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what is makes a life worth living as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we are alive, a must-read for anyone in medicine from a doctor-turned-patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include what makes life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present? When the future is no longer a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean to have a child, to nurture a new life as another fades away? When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So you come back from this trip. You're not in a great place. It's still lasting with you. Did that feed whatever story it is that we're about to hear? Absolutely. Lay the parade of red flags on us. And it's this is a long parade. I hope this computer has the the power to record yeah, this story. Look at the battery. We're good. We're good. <laughs> um, so yeah, I so I came back from the trip. I was feeling really sort of sorry for myself, um, and I didn't realize how painful it is to you know. It took me back to what it was like to be a child. And again, I had a lot of compassion for that little 
baby that was stuck in that house around that mother who didn't know any better, wasn't able to provide for her child. It took me back to that place. Um, and I just couldn't shake it. And so instead of doubling down on my spiritual program, uh, I thought I'd take the matter into my own hands and date myself out of it. And we all know how <laughs> that <exactly>. works. <laughs> so I met somebody who right off the bat was totally unavailable. And this is the one that you told me about where there were like five signs that you just <laughs> steamrolled right past yeah, five red flags. Exactly. Those, those red flags, I painted them green every single and, one. And of them. remind me what some of them were again. Um, I mean, first one was probably, I mean, let's, let, let me be, let me, let's say, let me be really honest. I knew the moment I swiped on this person, not a lovely human being, by the way, I swiped on this person this was not a match for me. You know, there's, again, it's not a criticism of anybody that does this, but anybody that is um, highlighting the sexuality on a dating app in pictures is probably not the right match for me. Mm -hmm. um, and it says, says a lot about where I was, that I was sort of enticed by this person's sexuality, this woman's sexuality. Um, and so... So that was the first red flag. Second red flag was probably what this person wore on the date. Mm -hmm. um, very, very suggestive. Um, and there was part of me that it was trying to keep, uh, I don't know, I, I just, anyway, I, I don't know where I was going with that. But long story short is we ended up that night, she asked to come back to my place. We came back and we ended up having sex. That's probably... A red flag, you know, um, for me. And so basically for the next three, four months, that's what we would do every couple of weeks. We would, you know, it wasn't a committed relationship. You'd lay down a red flag and fuck on it. <laughs> she actually liked the British if flag. If you're, yeah, if you're going to ignore the red flag, you might as well fuck on it. <laughs> but here's what was really, God, I can't believe I'm saying this on a podcast, but here's what was really strange is, when we had when we had sex, the sex was really um, connected, and I, it sort of felt very very loving and connected. And I was like, you know, and this is the my insanity. I was like, maybe maybe there's a relationship here. Maybe I'm going to take this you know round peg, and I can somehow force it into this square hole. Um, and, you know, I got to a place where I was like, okay, clearly this person's not available. Clearly, I mean, she wasn't available from the moment I met her. Um, but maybe I can just see her every couple of weeks. We can have a physical interaction. She doesn't want any more. I don't want any more. And things will be okay. And it sort of was for about four or five months. And and when uh, you and I talk about somebody being uh, available uh, for the listeners, um, that might not be familiar with that term and kind of uh, recovery speak. It means someone who can be emotionally and mentally mm. present when you're spending time with them. They're not, you know, constantly distracted. Uh, they can be vulnerable. They can be transparent mm -hmm. about their feelings. Um, and, and they're comfortable with emotional intimacy. Yeah, I was really, I was on a date with somebody um, about three weeks ago that also uh, went belly up. 
But, you know, this person asked me a couple of questions on the date that I thought just sort of highlighted um, the fact that she had self-esteem. You know, the first question was, she asked, are you available for a relationship? And when I asked this person this question, they were very clear that they're not available, uh, they'd been hurt, and the sort of walls were up, and all they were available for was, um, you know, sort of a light relationship where you'd see somebody very loosely over the course of the weeks. And the other question that this person asked me that I thought was a great question was, are you still embroiled in something else? Are you entangled with somebody? Is your heart open? Meaning there's not somebody else that mm-hmm. uh, you're still thinking about. Those are about. such great questions. Those are great, those are great questions. And when I asked those questions of this person that I was seeing, um, it was clear that she wasn't available. But, you know, that's my disease. My disease tells me she's not available. But if I'm nice enough, loving enough, caring enough, available enough, then somehow this person will see the real me and they'll want to become available. And, you know, as we know, unfortunately, (laughs) that doesn't work. You can't make somebody available. And and I remember a therapist said to me one time, and I thought it was so sort of insightful, he said, um, you know, I've never met somebody that can meet another individual and assess them uh, more accurately, quicker than you. And I was like, oh, that's a lovely compliment. He's like, I haven't finished. I was like, okay. <laughs> and then proceeds to totally fucking ignore it. Like, I know better. Yeah. What's going on? That I know better. I know better. And so anyway, we, you know, we, you know, we saw each other loosely for about four or five months. And I get, and I, I guess I was feeling okay. And it's sort of like, you know, I, you know, you're probably, t- it's like having a little bit of the drug in your system, mm-hmm. a little bit of the drug it's giving me. It's just, it's just making me feel okay. And Better then, than the loneliness. Exactly. And I think the, the lone, you know, we, you know, you and I talked about this. The loneliness is a big part of this disease for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, if you don't have a family, um, it, you know, sort of loneliness, dating is a way out. It was a way, was a way, it's not a, an effective way out of loneliness, but it was a way out. And even though I was seeing this person once every couple of weeks, somehow it helped quell that that deep loneliness that is much better served by calling you or other great friends and and with with that relationship with the person who's emotionally unavailable which is more satisfying to you when you do uh get around them and especially if you're physical with them is it the physical touch or is it having uh, an emotional moment, however minimal it may be with that person, you know, the smiling and the hugging and the non-sexual stuff, or is it the physical touch and the sexual stuff? Well, this person was, you know, I I cut myself a little bit of a break, meaning that it was, it was a little bit of both. I mean, here's some of, here's some of the growth. Maybe you'll laugh at me when I say this, but here's some of the growth. You know, this person was really sweet to me when she was kind, loving, warm, appreciative, generous, thankful. And these are all qualities when I first started this work that were repulsive to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was like, anybody that wants to spend time with me, they must be incredibly flawed. So I can't. So I was like, oh, maybe this is growth. And it is growth to a degree. Um, But, 
The, yeah. the, the thing that I see you struggling with, at least from what you share with me, is you mistaking them showing mm. that once mm. with consistency, mm. which is to me is a boilerplate need to be, to be in a, a healthy relationship is consistency. That doesn't mean they can't, you know, fuck up once in a while and, you know, be ungrateful or this or that. They're still human beings. But, you know, the pattern that I see in you is if they showed, you know, compassion once. Yes. And then did nine things that were incredibly uncompassionate. You would say, well, she's compassionate. You know, she did exactly. this thing one time. No, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you know, maybe she came out, she said, I wanted to introduce uh, you to a friend of mine. I was like, oh, she wants to ingratiate me into her life. And then, um, and then, you know, she'll disappear for two weeks and I won't be able to see her, but I'll still hang on to that. Maybe. And she doesn't call you back. That was the other thing is she would go days without returning your phone call or your text. It wasn't consistent. It wasn't. You're right. It was not consistent. consistent. And I don't, and I don't know where the line is on what's an acceptable amount of time to pass, you know, before you return somebody's call or text that we could probably do an entire podcast episode on that. But I just wanted, these are some of the things that I've noticed Mm. in your patterns of behavior with women and dating and especially with ones that are unavailable. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think I was so bereft of any kind of warmth as a child that any kind of gesture, however small sort of is so profound to me. Yeah. A lightning bug is a bonfire for you, man. <laughs> right. Um, so, 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 so basically this went on for, you know, four or five months. And then eventually this person became unavailable. And that's when sort of the bottom dropped out a little bit. Um, you know, then I turned it, uh, then I turned it on myself. Well, I must be ugly. I must be too old. I must be unsuccessful. So, you know, and that, and that's, that's why I find myself in this place today of struggling because I've now taken somebody who very clearly, now that I can see it from an aerial perspective, talking to you for the last 20, 30 minutes, I go, it's clear this person wasn't available from the beginning. Why am I surprised now? Why was I holding on to that? It's exactly what you said. Those small little gestures, even like the tenderness during sex, I was like, well, maybe she does. Maybe she will finally see me. And, you know, I'm trying to turn that square peg and put it into a round hole. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, you know, it's a, a floor. And there's part of it that I, I think I kept that from you a little bit. I think I was, if I'd had an open, honest conversation about this with you, you would have, you know, as is always the case, you would have laid it on the line very clearly and I would have seen it. But there's part of me that didn't want to see that. I was... I so get that. I so get that. I was in so much fucking pain, Paul, from that trip and even this small amount of tenderness somehow was the bomb for that pain. And then when that was taken away, then I really had to sort of face the pain of that trip and then taking away and not utilizing the tools that I have to sort of validate myself, to do self-care for myself. And the other thing that was going on, and I'm sorry to go off on a tangent here, but, you know, one of the things I've learned in this program, the spiritual program, is that self-care comes first. 
And um, probably my entire life, I've suffered from fatigue. And because I put other people's needs first, because I put my need to be validated first, um, I've really not, um, I've really not sort of looked for an answer to what that fatigue was. And so, is this physical, mental, phys- emotional, phys- physical, emotional, brain fog. Um, re- you know, I, you know, and I've I've managed that fatigue by using coffee, and. Um, you know, so really not, not focusing on the core issue, which is, which is driven. I've realized that's driven all my decisions, meaning from the jobs I've taken, I've taken jobs that have created excitement. Why excitement and pressure? Because somehow that's stimulating. Somehow that's exciting. It sort of wakes me up and gets me out of my fatigue. Same thing with relationships. So instead of doing the self-care to look at the underlying issue. Listening to your body. Exactly. I mean, I didn't even know how to do that. That's one of the things this program has given me. I didn't know how to do that. So one of the things I did when this uh, relationship ended is I was, I was like, okay, I got to now focus on the fatigue and see what that is. And I went for a treatment and it's, uh, I tried this um, IV treatment called NAD. I don't know if you've ever no, tried that, which is not. basically just an, as an enzyme. And it's the enzyme that's in all, all of our cells naturally. And what it does is it, the enzyme converts the food into energy. And as you get older, you sort of lose this enzyme. And if you've had trauma, you can lose the enzyme. And somehow replacing it through this IV, I mean, it's a, it's a widely used treatment, certainly here in Los Angeles, um, uh, completely sort of revitalized me in a good way. Mm-hmm. And so at the very core of it, you know, I've come to see my disease is a lack of self-care. And I understand that, you know, if, if I didn't feel loved as a child, then why should I love myself as an adult? So it's a right. constant battle. I don't know, you know, I don't know if you relate, of course you relate to it. No, relate to, to fucking, it's a fuck to fucking love yourself. Like I am, and I'll say this, like financially stable, Ah, I've got, I own my own home. Um, I'm basically, you know, I I don't necessarily have to work. I choose to work, but I find it so fucking hard to do anything nice for myself on a daily basis. And I can afford this treatment. Thank God. I feel very blessed, but it is so fucking hard to show up for myself and to really love myself. And that is the core of this fucking program, you know, I joke all the time that, you know, you can't love somebody else uh, really until you love yourself. And it's a daily practice of loving myself. And so since this person ended this relationship about a month ago, you know, I decided to stop dating and focus on self-care because I'm just not in a place where I can start dating again or, you know, being available to somebody else. I got to be able to do that for myself. And I'm certainly going to make the wrong choices Mm -hmm. if I don't love myself first. Does that make sense? It does make sense. So how'd you fuck that up? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I've had a couple of bad dates, you know, a couple of bad dates. Oh my God. I can't even, (laughs) one is one. Oh my God. One is, um, uh, I went on a date and, I don't even know if I can go. <laughs> I went on a date um, and I knew, I again, I knew it was 
I'm going to have to show you the people I'm considering going on dates with before I go on dates with, because you could very clearly tell by the pictures, their profile, that they're probably not a good match. Uh, we go out, <laughs> we go on a date and, um, you know, had dinner for, you know, an hour and a half, two hours. And this woman invites me to a club in West Hollywood. Um, I've never been to, I've lived here for 30 years. I've never been to a club in West Hollywood. I go to the club uh, with her and suffice to say uh, there was somebody else that she knew at the club that was very jealous we were together and I saw this turning into a potential fight and I slipped out the back door. And so, you know, I put myself mm -hmm. in a very, very risky situation yeah. going out with somebody into a situation I knew nothing about around people I didn't know that could have led to potential violence. Um, so that's one bad date. Um, but did you say goodbye before you went out the back door or you just left? Um, we got separated because, right. you know, this, this jealous friend, uh, his friends turned up and, and we sort of got separated, pushed apart. And then I saw the exit and knew that, um, it was probably time for me to leave. Right. Um, but, um, you know, I'm glad we were talking about it now because I'd like you to be the best man at all. <laughs> Is that Okay. <laughs> And 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 it sounds like you're justifying not having done the right thing, which is to say I'm going to go because this situation doesn't feel right. Well, no, I mean because you could have you could have. I knew Paul come up to her again and say, "Hey, I'm 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 going to go. I'm not feeling so what well. whatever, but just let her know that you're going because." That's kind of a shitty thing to do for her not to even know, you know, she, she might be like, did he get hurt? Did he go to the hospital? You know, what, what, what happened? I mean, I mean, I let, I let her know what happened, but here's, but it's, when? but it's so true. I let her know. I mean, after I left, I did have her, I had, I was holding onto a cell phone and I didn't want to leave her without the cell phone. So I saw her and I gave the cell phone back and oh. I told her, but, but, but you're right. She sort of turned it on me. She felt abandoned. She was crying. And then I had to sort of console her. And I've been very clear with her that I don't want, this is probably not the right match, but I still feel, she's still reaching out to me still. I still feel guilt. Am I ghosting her? Am I, you know, I know this is not a safe relationship for me, but I feel some guilt about taking care of myself. Yeah. Um, and the truth is. And by the way, that that is hold that thought. That is not me judging you and being like, you know, I'm morally superior to that. When no, I, I that. first started Bumble dating, there were two or three times that I didn't even let a woman know, hey, it didn't feel like a good fit. You know, um, I wish you all the best. I just did never message them again. And it's not that they messaged me and I didn't respond. I just pretended nothing happened. Um, and I don't think that was cool to to do that. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, you know, it's really, it's bringing, you know, it's, it's bringing a level of consciousness to dating. Like, you know, I've said, you know, I've said this to friends of mine, like the apps, the dating apps are very problematic because at no point in history have more single people been available to single people than right now. Mm -hmm. And so the problem with that is there's no real incentive at many levels to make a relationship work because yes. you find one problem, 
or mm-hmm. there's an issue, instead of resolving it and growing, then people just go next. And also, uh, it's liberated, um, I think, men and women to um, to have sex in a way, mm-hmm. you know, in a very sort of accessible way that wasn't available before. And I, there's nothing wrong with that. It just doesn't serve the uh the goal that i'm looking for which is a committed loving consistent partnership right and i'm glad that you delineate that because for everybody for some people it might be sport fucking you know and And that's okay and and that's that works for them but you've identified what works for you and 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 i think that's huge to to know what your uh non-negotiables are in a in a relationship that works and you know, as you mentioned, the it's so easy with so many people available to just not w- try to work on something. But where is that line between, oh, this is not healthy and, well, I just need to suck that moment up and accept that this person is sometimes going to fuck up. That that could be an entire, not, not only episode, an entire podcast about it well i yeah i agree because i think you know i i I say this on dates that i I think it's never a real relationship until there's discord yes because how both of you handle that disagreement Mm -hmm. tells you everything about both of your ability to have a relationship with each other couldn't agree more and um so yeah so and the truth is I just need to bring a lot more consciousness to dating. I probably need to run pictures, profiles by other people because my thinking is flawed. And also I come from a very sort of scarce, scarcity mentality, meaning, you know, I'll never be this young again. If not her, who? Exactly. You know, will will somebody else avail themselves to me? There'll never be anybody else. So I might as well. Really? That's the. I'm just thinking you should create a dating profile and just at the top it says, if not me, who? (laughs) I'm just, I'm just actually filling that on Bumble right now. Is that okay? I like that line. (laughs) So what was the second date? Uh, the second date, oh my God, I don't even know if I can, oh my God, oh my God. The first so, one, first one wasn't bad. The first one wasn't bad. So, okay, so we'll laugh at this one day. So, um, I meet uh, a lady, uh, we go on a date, uh, she asks me to drop her back at her place, I do, and she invites me in, we go sit on the couch, and she has uh, a little small dog, very cute dog. And the dog is all over me. I love dogs. Mm -hmm. And we start to make out and the dog is all up in my business. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I turn to the lady and I say, um, you know, is there any way we could just put the dog down or somewhere else? It doesn't feel comfortable trying to be amorous with you with a dog in my lap. And she's like, oh, it's just a horny little dog. And I was like, okay but could we just put him down on the floor, right. another room? Um, so we do, we put him down on the floor. We try to make out again. The dog comes back up and I was like, I'm going to go to the restroom. I go to the restroom and I come out. You may have to cut this from the podcast. I come out. Oh my God, I'm so mortified. And the dog, this little dog is now sitting on her lap, Paul. And, the, and as I'm walking towards her from the bathroom, 
and the dog is sitting on her lap. I see her. What I think is she's scratching the dog's belly. Oh, no. Oh, no. And she's giving the dog a hand job. Yes. And I, and I, and I, as I get closer, I see what she's doing. And I say to her, um, you just, it's like, he's a horny little dog. And I go, is that the first time you've done that? She goes, two or three times before. And I was like, okay. I mean, I was sort of in shock. I've never seen anything like this before. I mean, I've dated a lot in Los Angeles, but this certainly takes uh, some kind of prize. And um, of course, uh, I excused myself and I left. And um, so, yeah, that was, that was, that was, that was a shocking, it was traumatic moment to see that, you know, because I realized sort of the depth, you know, listen, myself, I see that why I'm I'm attracted to this. It it tells me at some level where I'm at, that I'm, around engaging with somebody like this. Yeah, but you didn't know that about true, her true, before. True. Before she did that. True. Thank and, you. Thank you. And you know, I'm not a veterinarian. I don't I don't know you just play with what what is uh, you know, acceptable. Yeah, I know dogs need their anal glands purged, but uh, <laughs> you know, not during a, a a date and certainly not the dog's dick uh during a date so hey buddy you you fucking walked out i i want to congratulate you on that because i think the old you you know would have tried to make this work yeah i would have well we're seeing each other next tuesday is that wrong i'm (laughs) if it's at a dog park i think you're (laughs) you're good but no i mean i yeah i have not course not contacted this woman i realized there's you know there's some trauma there and stuff that she has to work out and i'm sort of shocked and incredibly uncomfortable by what i saw and um how she could think that that was okay to do that in front of somebody uh let alone a first date uh, is just kind of I, I almost want you to date her so I can know more about her. Well, she's coming over in about 10 minutes. So you're going to meet her. She's a lovely my, lady. She's bringing the my, dog. <laughs> Daisy will love. Gracie. <laughs> Gracie. Sorry. Yes. I was say Gary, Daisy. Gracie. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's, it, it just, uh, you know, uh, there's, there's a lot of sadness in this person and I have a lot of compassion for them and, you know, they're on their own journey, but it was, uh, it was a shocking thing. Yeah, it was a shocking, traumatic thing to see. So suffice to say, um, I am, I've taken some time off dating. <laughs> I'm putting, you know, a little space there and uh, I need to just, yeah, get back to the basics. Like there's no point me going out into the world to try and date somebody else when I'm empty. And that's the truth, you know. I need to sort of fill up my bucket. I need to uh, double down on my program. I need to double down on my self-care. I know, need to double down on uh, my, my, my spiritual practice because if I go out and I date when I'm empty, I make really bad choices. Mm-hmm. I'm making choices to fill my loneliness. I'm making choices to validate me. I'm making choices... Uh, that are flawed at the very yeah. core. So, it's, it's exactly like shopping when you're hungry. Yeah. 
So if your mom made all the food, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, buddy, I'm I'm uh, I'm glad that we had an opportunity to to reconnect. I always love uh, our conversations, and uh, I'm just grateful to have somebody in my life that that uh, is so open and honest about what they're um, what they're going through because it makes it easier for me to go. You know, here's where I'm at. Here's the fucking insane thing that I thought was a good idea. Well, that's what you said. That's what you said when we first walked in this. When I first walked in this evening, you encouraged me just to be honest and where I'm at. And part of my disease is, you know, I sometimes don't want to call you when I'm struggling. I don't want to reach out because I don't want to bug you, and I don't. I, I know it's never bugging you, and I appreciate when people do the same. Um, but. That's where the recovery is, that I can be honest and I can be understood and it allows the other person to do the same. So thank you for listening. I don't know if there's anything of value in what I said tonight, but um, we'll I, thank, the, I thank you for listening to me either way. We will let the listeners decide. Love you, buddy. Love you too. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and I'm not going to torture you any longer with my voice. So I will just say, never forget you're not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.